Greet each one of you this morning in the blessed and worthy name of our Lord. It is a blessing to be here with you. It is always um, good to worship with others whom maybe you don't know as well or maybe you don't know at all sometimes, um, but you can sense that they love the Lord, sense that uh, they're seeking to follow him, and that's a blessing to be here with you in that way this morning. I appreciated uh, what we've heard already this morning. I had to think there of the life of Saul. One of the things that it says about him is, When thou was little in thine own eyes, the Lord made thee king. And we heard this morning about how he wanted to be honored in front of the elders a little bit later in his life. He lost that littleness in his own eyes. And you know, I have found that it is often the case with humans, and I've said this about those in leadership, those who have been given responsibilities, it is human nature to let pride rise up. In the heart. I believe that is part of what happened with Saul. That's my perspective, at least, as I look at him. You know, he was humble. He was, as it says in Scripture, little in his own eyes. And yet, we see a little later on, he wasn't anymore. Pride rose up in his heart. And we don't know maybe what all of the reasons are, but we can see many times uh, in people. I have at least observed this, that many times when they're giving a, given a little bit of power or, or something and then pride rises up. May we take lessons and be careful that that doesn't happen in our hearts. Well, um, I would like to uh, speak this morning on something that... I'll have to ask the, the apology uh, of uh, those that are here from uh, Living Hope this morning uh, because I uh, actually shared a very similar message last Sunday there. Uh, but uh, I'd like to talk to, uh, this morning about something that I don't know if I've ever heard anyone really preach a message on it be- before, maybe touched on it, uh, has spoken about it, And maybe it's uh, something that's not necessary here. I don't know. But it is something. It is. uh, I'll be touching on something that, according to statistics, is, I'd say it's at the heart of the fastest growing denomination in the world. And when I say denomination... This encompasses more than just one church group. Uh, Pentecostalism is what I'm referring to. Um, and you might call them charismatics or you, uh, you might have other names for them. But I'd like to specifically look this morning at the doctrine, maybe we could say, of faith healing or miracle healing. And part of uh, what uh, made me think about this was, what have we just been uh, going through the last year? I mean, everybody, everywhere you go, can't help but talk about the virus, the COVID-19 or coronavirus or whatever you want to call it. Well, in my business, I, because of uh, shipping things every day, uh, the mail carrier comes in there and she, uh, early on, I don't know when it was, but early on she came in and we were talking about, what do you talk about? COVID. And uh, she uh, said uh, Psalms 103. And I thought, well, Psalms 103. She said, look it up. Psalms 103, and maybe she said verse 3, I'm not sure. 
But uh, so I, uh, I looked it up. Uh, what is she referring to? Psalms 103. And here's what it says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Well, that's what she was clinging on to, was who healeth all thine iniquities, uh, or who forgiveth all thine iniquities, and who healeth all thy diseases. I was talking with a friend of mine uh, from Tennessee. We, uh, I spent most of my lifetime there. And uh, he was quoting the same thing. The Lord said, He heals all of our diseases. And so he was taking this to mean that he's not going to get COVID because he's a Christian and so he won't get COVID. I told him, well... I don't think you can be healed of something you don't have. Uh, and he recognized that then, but then he still said, well, then at least I can have the promise that I'll be healed when I, or if I get it. We want to look today and see whether we have that promise. Do we really have that promise? Maybe we could just all bow our heads to pray. <clears throat> our Heavenly Father, Lord, we do bless your name. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, that you have watched over us and cared for us and that you are a loving father. And, Lord, we do. Uh, we desire that you would speak uh, again today, that you would uh, bring forth your word in truth and clarity. Help me, Lord, to be used of you for your sake, for your kingdom's sake, for your church's sake, Lord, that we might all... Strive together, Lord, to uh, be upbuilding, Lord, to be a blessing one to another. Father, we pray, may you be lifted up and glorified through all that's said and done here today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, I will be making some very uh, direct quotes uh, from uh, different individuals of uh, what they say, the, uh, the modern uh, thing is um, what I would classify as faith healing is something that is very predominant in, in these Pentecostal type circle, circles. And when I talk about Pentecostalism this morning, that would include Assemblies of God and Holiness and some of the other church group, not, not only the ones that have Pentecostal in their name. Uh, Church of God is one of the largest, if not the largest, Pentecostal-type group. <clears throat> there is a new movement, I say a new movement, a fairly new movement uh, that is actually, and I don't know how many of you have heard of this, and I, I may uh, quote a few of uh, these passages from him. The, uh, they, they're calling the, the movement... The Last Reformation. I don't know how many of you have heard of this, but it uh, was started by a man by the name of Torben Sundergaard, a young man still, at least he looks young to me, uh, and uh, is from Denmark, uh, a Danish man who, uh, what he says is that he was looking at the church, he grew up in church, I believe, but he, he was reading the book of Acts and he was thinking, I'm not seeing this. I'm not seeing the things that we read about here in the book of Acts. And so he wants to, he wants to see these things. And so he came to the conclusion that the church wasn't on fire. The church wasn't uh, doing what it should be doing because we're not having what we see in the book of Acts. That was his conclusion. And so he uh, he started doing those things, healing and speaking in tongues and, you know, name, name it and claim it uh, type of thing. He was 
He was into it and is into it still today, making some very slick uh, videos and movies and whatnot to uh, further this uh, cause that he, he, I believe, uh, it seemed, at least from what I could see early on, I believe that he uh, probably was sincere uh, in that. We also, I think, know that uh, sincerity doesn't make it right. Uh, just because someone is sincere about something they believe doesn't mean that they're right in what they believe. So the first quote that I'd like to look at here this morning from uh, some of these people, and it's one that many different ones of them would say, but the direct quote I have here is, Jesus considered disease the work of the devil. We want to this morning, we want to look and see whether the things that they're saying are true, whether the things that they're saying can be authenticated by the word of God. Are they valid? Are they something that if you look at the word of God and don't just pick a little verse here and a verse there that you can say that is what the Bible says. So. The verses that they use to, to prove that that's the case would be from Acts chapter 10, verse 38. And that verse says this, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So that's one of the scriptures they use. And then they go on. Uh, they use the scripture there in Luke chapter 13, verse 16. And ought not this woman, this woman who, uh, uh, well, here's what it says. Being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. So, of course, there again. They're going from first at Acts chapter 10, where it speaks of healing all that were oppressed of the devil. They go on to the next one where, again, we are picking one verse out here. And I want you to keep that in mind. Whom Satan hath bound. They're picking that out of that verse. And then they go on from that to the third one in First John chapter 3, verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Do you see what's happening here? We have jumped now from talking about healing to sin and making it all one thing. It reminds me a little bit, and, and again, we're, too, we're just picking out one verse after another, I mean, not after another, but one verse here, another verse there, and another there. And coming to our conclusion because, okay, it says this in that verse, it says that in that verse, and so we come to the conclusion, here's how it is. It reminds me of a story I was told back when I was a boy. I remember someone telling it, it uh, uh, something that stuck with me. He was telling of this man who really wanted to find the will of God. And so he goes and he's reading in the, the scriptures and he's reading about how Judas went and hanged himself. And he's pondering this, you know, what, what's God saying to me about this? And so he opens his Bible in another place and his eyes fall on, go thou and do likewise. And... I don't think any of us would would think that's God speaking that, OK, Judas hanged himself. And now I look and and I open my Bible and and here it says, go down, do likewise. But people do that with Scripture. And I think that's a little bit what's happening here. You pick out a verse here, you pick out a verse there and you come to a conclusion which is not even logical if you take it in the context. And we'd like to, this morning, rather than doing that, we'd, rather than just picking out a verse here and there, we want to look at context. And we want to compare Scripture with Scripture 
to see what God actually says about these things. So, let's analyze it with the microscope of the Word of God this morning. Did Jesus really consider disease to be the work of the devil? If you uh, would consider John chapter 9, verse 3, this is talking about the man who was born blind. He was, uh, he was blind and, and the Pharisees or came to him uh, and asked, well, maybe we'll just turn there to John chapter 9. If you'd like to turn John chapter 9, we'll just read a few verses there. Uh, start uh, reading in verse 1. And Jesus passed by, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So here, it does seem that uh, the... uh, Disciples here had the same idea that this these people have that uh, sin is from the devil or or, uh, that uh, sickness is from the devil. They I mean, here's a a guy that's blind who sinned him or his parents has to be one or the other him or his parents. Which one is it? That's what they're asking Jesus. What did Jesus say? Well, it could be both. No, he didn't. He said, neither, neither one of them, but that the, the glory, for the glory of God, how does it say? Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So, we have a scripture here that doesn't agree with disease is the work of the devil. Uh, we also have the example in the Old Testament of Job and his friends. We have Job, and he's, he's having all kinds of calamities befall him. And we have the uh, luxury of knowing a little bit of what was going on behind the scene. But I don't know that any of them did. I don't know that Job did. And certainly his friends didn't have that luxury to see what was behind the scenes and going on. But we do see they came there and they had this same attitude again, too. It must be that you have sinned greatly, Job. There's something in your life that we didn't realize. But, I mean, there's no way that these things would be happening to you if there weren't sin in your life. And that's what's causing this to come. We realize now, looking back, That was not true. That just simply was not the case. So, first of all, is it true that disease is the work of the devil? I would have to say, I don't think we can say so. Moreover, let's look at a few other scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now here, there it does say that it was a messenger of Satan. So there you could take it and say, okay, it must be of the devil. I, what I would like to, though, point out, if we want to see it from that angle, then we have to say, okay, was, was Satan having an effect on Paul? Rather, we see in this example, Paul said that God said to him, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in, wit, in weakness. So, Uh, Paul ended this here and said, I will therefore glory in mine infirmities. He's viewing it as something that is beneficial, something that helps him 
to do what he ought to do and live the way he ought to live. All right, let's look at another quote. This is the quote. The curse of the law included every sickness and disease imaginable, and Jesus redeemed us from these. So here again you have the idea that if you have sickness, it's something that is the curse of the law. It's the curse of the law if you have sickness or disease, and Jesus redeemed us. We are saved from those things. So if you have been saved, if you have been born again, if you've been converted, then sickness and disease is in the past. That is the conclusion they come to. And here are the verses for that. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. Um, and I'm just going to give you some more quotes, and then we're going to look at, uh, at what is happening here in these verses. The next quote is, uh, To suggest that it's not God's will to heal, some makes Jesus' suffering on the cross of no effect. Yet, the word shows us his sacrifice was tremendously effective. By his stripes we were healed. Jesus bore all sickness so we wouldn't have to, just as he bore all sin for us. The power of sickness is sin, and if sin is defeated, sickness has no legal right in any believer. This is uh, from Karis uh, Bible College. And uh, I think that was started by Andrew Womack. And here's another quote from him. I can say with the Apostle Peter, such as I have, give I thee. This is what Peter said when he ministered to the lame man in Acts chapter 3. Peter didn't pray for this man. He didn't say, oh God, we can do nothing without you. Please heal this man if it is your will. It's always God's will to heal. Third John chapter 2, uh, verse 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prof prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. We don't ask and then wait and see. That's not believing his word. Instead of beggars, we need to become believers who, knowing God's will, use our authority to heal. This is an exact quote from Andrew Womack. So, let's look again at this with the microscope of the Word of God and see whether we can determine whether this is accurate or not. First of all, let's look at the proof text that they're using here for this. The proof text is Second um, Peter chapter 3, verse 16. No, actually, First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, and the, the uh, part that they pick out of this verse, by whose stripes ye were healed. Is that really what this verse is talking about, is physical healing? Let's look and see in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, uh, and I'll read it from the ESV. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed, for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. I believe Peter was probably actually quoting from that when he uh, gave that in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. By whose stripes ye were healed. I believe we can clearly see, if you look at context here, this is talking about spiritual healing. This is talking about being saved, about our souls being healed, not about some physical bodily healing. That is what they're taking from it, though. And I think that is a twisting, as it says there, um, Peter says about uh, uh, those that uh, read 
Paul's epistles, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. I'm concerned that that is exactly what is happening with some of these type of uh, groups where they are taking scriptures and twisting them to try to say something that they really are not saying. So, back to the statement. It is always God's will to heal. Is that true? No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Let's look at some scriptures that make it abundantly clear. Um, John chapter 5, if you'd like to turn there, we'll read a few verses. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem Now, there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then, first after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had, and a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case he said unto him wilt thou be made whole the impotent man answered him sir I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool but while I am coming another steppeth down before me Jesus saith unto him rise take up thy bed and walk And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. I'd like for you to take special notice of verse 3. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, How many people did Jesus heal? One. He healed one. But there was a whole multitude of people there that could have used healing. They were blind and withered and halt. And they they were there because they wanted to be healed. I don't know why he just chose one. I think we have to recognize the sovereignty of God in all of these things. So to say that um, it's always God's will to heal, then if that were the case, why didn't he? Why didn't he just heal them all? And we'll get to one of the points that they'll make a little bit later on, that it has to be because, oh, they had faith. Well, think about it here. Did this man have faith? We'll, We'll look at that a little closer a little later on. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at a few more people to see whether it's really scriptural that everybody ought to be healed. Maybe, maybe we can come to the conclusion, well, no, it's maybe not his will that those that aren't saved are healed. But surely everyone who's been born again, everyone who's a Christian should actually uh, have that comfort and knowing that it's God's will that they are all Uh, healed and and not sick. Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed, he was sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him, therefore, the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice. And sent him, therefore, the more care- sorry, that I may be the less sorrowful. 
Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. I'd just like to point out to you there, here we have Epaphroditus, someone who was sent by the church to Paul. And what does it say? He had heard that he had been sick. Paul goes on to say, yeah, he was sick. He was nigh unto death. Now, we don't know, you know, how he was healed, what happened that he got better, but it seems pretty clear if we try to read this uh, in a um, unbiased way that Paul actually recognized that he could well have died. For he says this in verse 27, For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. He is saying... I was, if, if he would have died, he was, he was looking at it as very possible that Epaphroditus could die. Not that he was just going to automatically be healed because, I mean, look, Paul, how many people were healed by him through God? I mean, lots of them. And yet, we have here someone who was a minister of the church, someone who was a devout Christian if by everything that we can conclude, I think, and yet, he was sick almost to death. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Really? You're telling me, Timothy, an elder in the church, someone used by God, someone who was probably the elder at Ephesus, you're telling me that he has often infirmities? He's often sick? And Paul didn't just say, by the, uh, your faith in Christ, or I pronounce you healed. I mean, he could have, but he didn't. He said, instead of what you've been doing, take a little wine for your stomach's sake and your often infirmities and your often sicknesses. And lastly, let's look at one more in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. He left him sick. He didn't heal him. He left him sick. Again, it is all, the, the statement that they make is, it is always God's will to heal. I think we can see abundantly clearly that that's not true. It's not true if we look at Scripture to see what Scripture has to say about it, that that's the case. So moving on. Quote again. Jesus commanded all his followers to heal the sick and do the works he did. Jesus commanded all his followers to heal the sick and do the works he did. And so what they use as uh, this, and I'll give you a, a direct quote again. Uh, it says, in the Great Commission, Jesus told these same disciples to teach all future disciples the same things he had taught them. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 extends the commission to heal the sick to all Jesus' followers. Let's just read that and make sure that they're telling us the truth. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, 
even unto the end of the world. Okay. Did I miss something? They said, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, extends the commission to heal the sick to all Jesus' followers. I don't see anything in these verses that tells us that that is something that we're commanded to do. What, why, what we find here that we are commanded to teach and observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That is what is said here. It doesn't say anything about healing the sick that that's what that we're commanded to do that. It does say that we are to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And then we have the promise that he will be with us to the end of the world. I fear that some modern Christians have the same desire or attitude as the Pharisees had in Matthew chapter 12. Verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answer saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. I fear that there is a, a looking after signs in some of these circles. There's a thing of holding that up pretty high, of having signs and miracles and wonders among us. And we're going to look at a little bit of the, uh, uh, whether that's really uh, proving, as they would say, that we have the Spirit of God. But I believe that there is some of that evident in some of the things that we can see among them. But what did Jesus say here when the scribes and Pharisees were asking him for a sign? He said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Now we do know that Jesus did perform miracles, and he did give signs and wonders and those things. So, we, don't, we can't say that it's wrong for us to have signs and wonders. And by the way, we'll get to that a little bit later on too. About There are two, two theological schools of thought. One is the cessationist, which, which would say the miracles and the signs and the wonders have ceased. That was only for the apostolic age. It's no longer for us. There's the continuationists, which are the Pentecostalists, that would say that, no, it's continuing on just like it was from the very beginning. This, the, this, the radical continuationist uh, movement is something that I believe has only uh, come about in the last uh, 100 or 150 years. The radical cessationists probably started with John Calvinist. Uh, John Calvin, uh, and uh, we'll look at that. But uh, let's go on from here. Uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 17. Actually, I think we're going to just leave that for now. Uh, they will say, and this is not a direct quote, but it's something that you'll hear uh, in these circles. If you go to the doctor, you are sinning. Or at least showing your lack of faith in God. These are things that I've heard from uh, lots of people. Similar uh, statements. Does God heal based solely on faith? Uh, that is one of the, uh, the word of faith movement that's out there today. Is That's what... Uh, is the the only reason that people aren't being healed is because they don't have enough faith. And they'll use scriptures like, ye have not because ye ask not, and, and those type of things. And those are the reasons that we don't have what they had back then. I have seen it, and and probably some of you have seen it as well, where... If someone has a sickness, they, they are almost condemned. They're condemned because, you know, 
they they shouldn't be sick. If you were if you had faith like you ought to have, you wouldn't be sick. And there are people that have actually uh, gone into depression and who have, uh, I believe, made shipwreck of the uh, faith, as as the scripture says, because they were told these things. They thought, well, Lord, I want to be healed. I want to have what you've got for me. And and they, they feel bad. Oh, I guess I just don't have enough faith. And it actually is destructive, I believe, if you take it to that extent that you believe and you teach that if you are sick, you're just faithless. You just don't have enough faith. As I showed earlier, we can see clearly in Scripture, in New Testament Scripture, that that didn't always happen. So again, to the question of uh, does does God heal solely on faith? I believe the answer to that question is no. And if you uh, look at the um, the example there that we looked at in John chapter five of the uh, man there by the pool of Bethesda, in verse thirteen of that that it says when uh, and that he was healed wist not who it was. How could he have faith in Jesus? He didn't even know who he was. He wist not who he was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. So we can see here that it's just not logical that this man was healed because of his faith. We don't have any evidence whatsoever that would give us an indication that it was because of his faith. Let's look at more than that. Let's well. Maybe we'll just, uh, for the sake of time, uh, I'll just give you the the incident. And you know it well already, and that is of Lazarus. Lazarus was raised from the dead. How much faith can a dead man have? It's just again, it's not something that it can can be. You can't expect a dead man to have faith. He was dead, and he was raised from the dead. So I will acknowledge, though, that there is evidence in Scripture that faith does have is a contributing factor to some of the healings that we see. And I, I don't want to have this thing where we get biased on the other side and don't recognize some of the things that clearly would indicate that. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 29, Then touched he their eyes, this is these two blind men, and he touched their eyes and saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. So, it does look like here he's saying, uh, according to your faith, however much faith you had, you, he asked them first, do you believe that I can heal you? And they said, yes, we believe you can. And then he said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Luke chapter 8, verse 48, and this is uh, the, uh, of the woman there. He says, and he said unto her, daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made the whole go in peace. We also know the example of faith having a, a being a contributing factor on the part of those that are doing the healing. When the disciples came to Jesus about this demoniac, the, this person that had a demon, they couldn't cast him out. And Jesus cast him out, and they wanted to know, why? Why couldn't we do it? And Jesus said to them, This type cometh not out, but by prayer and fasting and he again indicated that it was a, a, a needful ingredient there was faith so I don't I don't want to um, in any way uh, do any violence to scripture I do want to be uh, take things in context I want to look at it in the way that it is written so I do believe that faith can be a contributing factor but it is not always as they would say So now let's look at it from a little different angle. Does the fact, or maybe I should say, if it were true, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that maybe yet, but uh, if it were true that these people were really healing people, does that make them godly? Does it mean that the very fact that they are raising, as they claim, people from the dead, 
that they are healing blindness, that they are causing people to uh, uh, rise from their beds who couldn't before, uh, all kinds of things that are being claimed, does that make them that they are then godly people, evidently, because they are doing these things? Let's look at the scripture and see whether we can conclude that. Matthew chapter 24, verse 24. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So I guess I give that warning this morning. Just because they are showing signs and wonders, we can see clearly here that does not make them a child of God. I appreciated the uh, uh, scripture that uh, Brother Seth had for the children there, and maybe we'll look at that in, uh, well, I'll just mention it now. Uh, in First uh, Corinthians chapter 13, in verse uh, 2, it says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. So Paul is saying, through the, through the uh, Spirit of God, that if I had faith so great that I could remove mountains and don't have love, I'm nothing. So, I, again, I, I would just say that let's remember what's important. If you have a church that has people in it that, can, that have great enough faith to move mountains, and I haven't seen any of those people, but if they did, if they had that much faith and they don't have love, they're nothing. Mark chapter 13, verse 22, For false Christs and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. Again, the, basically the same thing as in Matthew chapter 24. I'd like to, you to uh, also, I'll just uh, mention it to you. It's found in Exodus chapter 7, verse 10 through 12. There of, and maybe I'll just read it. Uh, I think you're all very familiar with it, but... Uh, I'll just read it uh, to uh, bring the context here. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments, for they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Are we to assume that these magicians of Egypt were now godly people because they threw their rods down and they became snakes too? No. Just because they can do some signs, just because they can do even miracles, doesn't make them godly. Doesn't make them a child of the king. What I do believe, and I'll just say this, I do believe the probably the majority of what is being classed as miracles and signs and wonders today are fraud. That is what I believe. But I, I'll leave some of that. I'm just going to give you a few men who have been shown to be frauds. And I'll uh, probably, some of you have heard of Peter Popoff. Uh, just the name is enough to... Uh, make you wonder, but uh, um, he was doing a lot of popping off. Uh, and he, uh, back in the 80s, he uh, would have these huge crowds, and he would go out there, and he would start telling them by name and address where they lived and what their condition was, and said, you can come forth and be healed. And people were just, wait a minute. This man 
is very godly. This man is hearing direct from God because, I mean, this true. It was true. The things that he said were were happening. I mean, I don't know what all of the medical conditions were that he named out, but they had the medical conditions that he was naming. So how was he doing it? Well, you know, when these people came in there, they were filling out their little prayer cards. As they came in, they'd fill out the prayer cards and they'd hand them in. And his wife, Elizabeth, would take those prayer cards and she'd pick out a few of the better ones. And she had a mic and he had this little earpiece in his ear that nobody was realizing. And she would tell him, Peter, here's the card, here's what it says. And he would just basically say what she told him to say. And they all thought, and he was claiming to have divine revelation of these things happening. That's fraud. And to have someone that is doing those kinds of things should, I think, concern any of us uh, that are honest. I mean, that's rank dishonesty is what was going on. Oral Roberts. I remember well, uh, tells a little bit about my age, but uh, um, I remember well some of the claims and things that he was uh, making. But back in the 80s again, he made this claim that God was going to take his life if he didn't have a certain amount of millions of dollars by a certain time. Well, that time came... And he didn't have his millions of dollars that he was supposed to have had. But the, what does he do? Does he come out and say, I apologize, I was wrong? No, he didn't. Instead, he comes out with a new date and a new uh, amount of money. And he was getting so desperate and begging so much that there was actually this rich guy down in Florida, a racetrack owner down there, that mailed him a check of a over a million dollars so that uh, he wouldn't uh, wouldn't die. He said he was just concerned that uh, he would meet his end before his time. So what the guy said down in Florida. But anyway, so again, it's just some of these men are more, and you, you could think of Jim Baker, Jim and uh, Tammy Baker, and, and Benny Hinn, and some of these men who have made all kinds of claims and done all kinds of things. But if you looked a little bit deeper, you find... It seems like money is one of the big factors, one of the big reasons for them to do what they're doing. Okay, well, I, uh, I'm going to try to draw this to a close. Um, I believe one of the most uh, common forms of abuse uh, that we see in this view of, of uh, miracle healing is that uh, all illness is directly or indirectly attributable to the devil and I believe we have seen here by scripture that that's not true I'll just uh, give you a little bit uh, on cessationism Um, a full cessationist believes that all miracles have ceased along with any miraculous gifts that's a a full-blown sensationist that's what they would believe and what I have heard as their scripture for that is, uh, again, from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And there it says, Charity never faileth. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So they say, there you have it. It says, tongues shall cease. Well, they've ceased. That's what they, they would say. Well, I don't think that that is, uh, again, doing uh, justice to the Scripture and what it is saying. So, my conclusion is this. I believe, and I'll, uh, I'll quote one of the, uh, the church fathers, but if you look at the early church there in Acts, we see that they definitely did have miracles and healings happening among them. We find that even in the early church, they believed in it and they had Healings, And they even had people raised from the dead up into two and three hundreds. We read about it from the early church fathers. It's not they weren't cessationists, but they weren't the radical continuationists either that believed that we should expect all of these things to happen. 
And I'm going to, to venture out on a limb a little bit here this morning. I, what it has been my perspective and what has been my observation in my short lifetime of seeing things and, and churches and, and movements, I believe that God does do more miracles. He does have, we do see more healings when there's a new work in a new area. It just tends to be the case that you find that there is more of that. And I can't point to you scripture and verse and say that, and I'm not trying to hold that up as, as the doctrine here this morning, but it does seem to me that that's the case. I do believe that, as it says in James, if, is there any sick among you? Go to the doctor. No, that's not what it says. It says, is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders and let them anoint him with oil, praying for him, and he will be healed. So I believe there's something there still for us today. I think that's something that we are commanded and it's something that we should be doing. That is there sick among us? Call for the elders and anoint them. And it shouldn't be, though, with the attitude that Andrew Womack has there where he says, not coming as a beggar, not coming pleading. I say, yes, that is how we come. God is sovereign. He is Lord and we are his servants and we come begging and pleading. We come asking for his mercy, for his grace, for his healing, not ours, his. And I believe that he does heal today still, but I don't think we should expect that everybody is going to be healed. There are people going to die. They did back then. And they do today. John Calvin, he was a continuationist and, uh, I mean, a cessationist and a radical one. And uh, here's what he had to say. Um, he said, because the Reformation reaffirmed the original apostolic preaching, no additional miracles should be expected. And so he's basically what John Calvin came up with is he said the Catholic Church at that time, they were still claiming miracles. And he said that proves that they're false because we're back on the solid rock. We're back on the apostolic doctrine and we shouldn't expect any miracles then because it was it was it ceased. You know, it was back for the apostolic age. We're back on the apostolic doctrine. And so there's no no healing or miracles. Again, I believe that's doing violence to the Scripture. It's not uh, something that we can look at the Scripture and find any um, reinforcement for. Continuationism is the belief that the spiritual gifts have continued to the present age as a distinct theological position arose in the opposition to cessationism. Uh, the most recent developments has uh, tended to focus on other spiritual gifts too, owing to the advent of Pentecostalism and the charismatic movement that have popularized a radical continuationism, the position that the spiritual gifts are meant for all Christians in every age. And again, I believe that is again a radical position which is not uh, substantiated by Scripture. I'll uh, uh, close uh, with a uh, quote from Irenaeus. He was a pupil of Polycarp, who was a disciple of the Apostle John. He died in uh, AD 202, and here is what he says about uh, healings and gifts. In like manner, do we also hear many brethren in the church who possess prophetic gifts and who through the Spirit speak all kinds of languages and bring to light for the general benefit the hidden things of men and declare the mysteries of God, who also the apostles term spiritual. Those who are in truth his disciples receiving grace from him do in his name perform miracles so as to promote the welfare of other men according to the gift which each one has received from him. For some do certainly and truly drive out devils so that those who have thus been cleansed from evil spirits frequently both believe in Christ and join themselves to the church. Others have foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions and utter prophetic expressions. Others still heal the sick by laying their hands upon them, and they are made whole. Yea, 
Moreover, as I have said, the dead even have been raised up and remain among us for many years. So that was Irenaeus. Uh, doesn't sound like cessationism. Uh, but again, it is something, if you look at uh, the whole of the early Christians, they did not expect it to be just a, a normal occurrence in life that everybody that uh, got sick was healed. It was not the case. So, in conclusion, may we rightly divide the word of truth. May we take it in context. And may we not react, because that's what I think we as humans tend to do many times, is react, because we see somebody in a radical position and we jump to the other side of the ditch and decide, oh no, I mean those people, they, they're claiming all kinds of things which we, we can see is not true, is not right or whatever. And so we jump on the other side and, and we're the cessationists then and say, nope, none of it. It's all for the past. It doesn't happen anymore. And again, I, I don't think that we can support that position. So God bless you. May we... Uh, Know what we believe and why we believe what we believe is my heart's desire in in bringing teaching like this, that when uh, when we hear these things on the street, when we see more and more of these things, they they went from being like 8% uh, of uh, the uh, Christian church to 25% in a matter of 20 years the Pentecostalism. So it's something that has grown by leaps and bounds, uh, but it is also not something that we need to be afraid of. I think it's something that through the Spirit of God, uh, He can show us and He will show us if we're humble, uh, small in our own eyes. And may God bless each one of you as we seek to rightly divide the word of truth.